Welcome to the Hypnotoad Podcast on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. Andrew Zimmel back again after another heartbreaking loss by the Horned Frogs. If the name of this season was How Many Ways, How Many Ways Can TCU Break Your Heart, this would be another chapter in that book. And if this is the final chapter of the Texas TCU rivalry, one side of rivalry historically, but in the Big 12, this was one of those teams that gave Texas the hardest time, to be honest with you, when you look at the schedules and the head-to-head and stuff. Uh, this is the last time these two teams face off. Last time they'll face off as conference opponents, at least. This uh, will go down in the history books as one of the hardest ways that TCU could lose. So we'll talk about that. Of course, we have to highlight uh, what's coming this week against Baylor in the new and improved Blue Bonnet Battle is what they're calling it now. So the Blue Bonnet Battle against Baylor this weekend, we'll highlight that. And, of course, we'll talk men's and women's hoops because both those teams are combined 5-0. and A lot to get into, but first, got to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get the Hypnotoad podcast, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your Hypnotoad is where we are. That's right. So subscribe, rate, and review. By leaving a review, you're helping us build the brand. We want to thank you guys who have already done that. And uh, for those of you that continue to do it, thank you, thank you, thank you. Reminder, you can win a Harlan College Sports koozie by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Screenshot it. Screen grab it, send it to our guy, Pete Mundo, Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HarlanCollegeSports.com. That's Pete Mundo at HarlanCollegeSports.com to win, to receive a free Heartland College Sports koozie. Don't want to miss out on that. A good way to keep your beverage cool or warm, I guess. Either way, whichever way you want to do with it or deal with it, you can do it that way. Uh, look, this was a tough one. A 29-26 loss to Texas before the game, if you would have told me that TCU covers the spread, I think I would have been happy with just that result. But the facts are the facts that TCU let Texas off the hook in this game. And that is one of those that is going to really sting throughout the rest of the season, especially, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but when you consider what is at stake now these next two weeks against Baylor this week, Oklahoma next, you look back at this game and you think to yourself, this was one of those games that you let get away. I saw this really good quote online uh, from a TCU fan, and I should have kept where I got it from, what Twitter account I got it from. But I saw it and I loved it. So here it is. The Talking about the Horn Frogs, this Twitter user said, TCU climbs out of a hole only to find themselves in a deeper hole when talking about TCU football. And I feel like that is the mantra of this season. That every single time that the Horn Frogs had a little bit of momentum in this game against Texas, anytime they found themselves having a little bit of momentum, any point in this season, it, it seems that they find themselves in a much harder, much more difficult predicament than they originally thought they were in. Because this sequence of events pretty much tells the entire story, not only of this game, a loss to Texas, but it tells the story of the entire TCU season. So... You go into the final minute and a half of the first half. Okay, first half, final minute, minute and change. TCU's trailing 13 to 6. So very much still in this game, they have a chance to take the lead or at least tie the ball game, driving down and scoring. So mid-second quarter, Josh Hoover takes a 10-yard loss, uh, and that drive ends in a punt. Texas gets the ball at their own 15. Then Longhorns pick up a fourth down 
conversion. They convert a third and 12, a third and eight, a third and uh, second, and then it ends up with a touchdown off of uh, Josh Newton. The TCU cornerback, Mitchell, goes up, grabs a TD pass uh, with a minute left in the first half. Okay. So now Texas leads 19-6 to after a missed extra point. TCU has a chance here to, again, minute change, go down the field, you kick a field goal potentially, you go into halftime trailing by 10, that's a doable uh, game. You, you trail by 10 against the number, what, seven team in the country? You feel okay. No. Instead, the first play of the, is a blown play of Josh Hoover throwing a th- pass. I don't know where who this was intended for, but it's intercepted. And then Texas goes down the field, scores again. So Texas goes up 20 with just over a minute earlier, just leading by seven. This turn of events pretty much made sure that TCU wasn't going to be able to win this game because the mental fortitude of this program is shattered. All of the goodwill that TCU has built up over the past year, over all the goodwill after that incredible national championship uh, run, for me, it was evaporated on that sequence of plays. Because when you look at not only you kick the ball back with 50, okay, Texas takes the ball their own 15. They got 85 yards to go. Good teams can do that. Great teams will make it look easy. Texas did not at all make it look easy. They convert on a fourth down. They convert on a third down. They convert on two third downs via penalty. TCU a year ago doesn't let that happen. The Horned Frogs from a year ago have the fortitude, the mental fortitude, the players on the field, that they would essentially button it up and keep Texas out of the end zone. And I said with Chandler Morris to start the year, and I feel like a broken record here, that I said that this is a quarterback that I wasn't entirely thrilled with coming into the season, right? When you consider that he was injured, Max Duggan took it over, and then he never was really good enough to take the job back. Okay, so he has a good fall camp. Comes into the season, you think to yourself, okay, feeling good. And then he made a couple bonehead mistakes early in the year, and then he gets hurt again. Okay, well, Hoover steps in. He's a freshman. He's young. He's green around the gills. And now he's making the exact same mistakes that Chandler Morris would make. Now, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you say, hey, Zimmel, no, that's not fair. We haven't seen Chandler Morris play for a couple weeks, two months even. We haven't seen him play. You can't say that he would make the same mistakes that Hoover would be making. Well, I can tell you this. The interceptions that he's throwing are unacceptable. I understand that it's breezy. I understand that the weather wasn't in ideal conditions. And when you look at the entirety of this game, when you look at all the different pieces that were working for TCU, you'd almost say to yourself, you know, we can look at this game as a moral victory. But there's no such thing as a moral victory when you potentially are going to be missing out on a bowl game this year. That is where Texas or TCU is, and that's what Texas did to them. Uh, the other part is, of course, the TCU defensive backs, again, abysmal. Josh Newton entered the game as TCU's de- top defender. I'll tell you, Texas fans on my Twitter timeline, they were very quick to point this out. <laughs> they were very, very quick to point out the stats. So Josh Newton, before the season, we were talking about this guy as one of the best corners in not only in the Big 12, but in the country. And Xavier Worthy took him to task. 137 yards for Worthy, uh, pretty much against 
Newton the entire night. 10 receptions, 137 yards. Avery Helm allowed a critical third and 11 heave uh, that was completed to pretty much seal the game for Texas. Of course, if you remember, it was third and 12 uh, deep in Texas's own territory. And Quinn Ewers essentially just throws up a prayer. Mitchell gets a step on the corner and game's done. Because if TCU forces a turnover there, there, they potentially could get the ball back trailing by three. You think they go down and kick a field goal at the least, or at least you put yourself in a position to kick a game-tying field goal. Did not happen because uh, the secondary has been bad. And I want to get to that here in a moment. Uh, I do want to highlight some of uh, other some stats for this game, right, because uh, Quinn Ewers completed 66% of the passes, 317 yards and a touchdown. Jonathan Brooks, leading rusher, 103 yards, touchdown, also 74 yards receiving. Um yeah, no, it was it was tough. The good news is, if you're a TCU offense fan, the second half, of course, they outscored Texas 20 to three in the fourth quarter, coming just three points shy of tying the game potentially. The second half was good for the TCU offense. The second half was very good for the TCU offense. In fact, Savion Williams had the game of his career. He nearly doubled his previous career best in reception in yards. 11 catches, 164 yards, an incredible TD late in the fourth that gave a a chance to remain in the game. Now, the question, of course, goes to, will this be the thing that propels him into the national conversation? I'm of the opinion, probably not. I'm inclined to believe probably not because I don't think TCU was going to be playing in many more big games. Potentially that final game against uh, Oklahoma could turn into a big game because it could be a six-win for TCU and, of course, Oklahoma, one of the teams that people are very high on this year, even after losing to Kansas-Oklahoma State. Potentially, that turns into a premier game because if Oklahoma loses, then Kansas State could play in the uh, Big 12 championship game against Texas if TCU can get the job done. But again, Savion Williams, I think it's an incredible game. However, I don't think this is going to propel him onto the national stage like I think a lot of TCU fans want him to. To be, I think they want this program, they want these players on a national stage, and that's just not going to happen with the type of performances across the board that uh, this team has had this year. Imani Bailey had another good game as well for TCU, 98 yards and a touchdown, 21 carries. Josh Hoover, 24 of 36, 300 yards in the loss. Again, if you just read the box score of this game, you think to yourself, well, this is the best the offense has looked all year long. And, you know, you might have a point. The offense did look better. I jokingly said last week, well, half-jokingly said last week, that I thought that this would be a game that uh, both coaching staffs, Sarkeesian on one side, but also Sonny Dykes and his coaching staff on the other, the winner of this game would uh, essentially sign the death certificate for the other team's coaching staff. I'm not saying Sonny Dykes is going to get fired, but when you look at the offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles, he is a billion percent on the hot seat uh, for the performances that his team has had this year. Now, is it completely fair? I mean, not with Chandler Morris getting hurt first year OC, the type of teams that TCU has had to play this year. I think everybody has been very impressed by West Virginia this season. I think everybody's been very impressed by how close this game could have, or this game was on primetime too, into in Fort Worth. The final two times these teams played, there's something to be said for the offense getting up in this game. Now, should they have gotten up against Iowa State? Should they have played a lot better against Kansas State? Yeah, a billion percent, yes. But 
the coaching staff for TCU is going to get reshuffled. That is without a doubt. I think that that is a thousand percent going to happen this offseason for uh, TCU. Now, this is the last thing I want to talk about uh, before we get into Baylor because Bud Clark has he been the better corner this season? I'm going to start the conversation. Has Bud Clark been the better defensive back this season than Josh Newton? Is Josh Newton becoming a tad overrated? Has has he not performed to the level that we expected of him this year? When you compare the stats, Clark has one more interception, so it's two to one, and one more pass deflection, five to four. Newton got burned. Now, granted, he's playing against the other team's best receiver, but if you're the best corner in the conference, you kind of expect that, right? That's the task that you kind of are signing up for if you're going to be the number one cornerback on the on the team. Xavier Worthy lights him up. Travis Henry, or yeah, Travis Henry light or Hunter, Travis Hunter lights him up. Um in game number one against Colorado. And there's a litany of other wide receivers this season who have done a pretty good job against Newton. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to go drafted, or I'm not saying that he's not going to be a uh, you know high draft pick, but I do, like, the record shows, the numbers don't lie, the tape is there, that he is not the type of corner that I thought he was before the season. And I wanted to revisit this because... After, I want to say the West Virginia game, I was kind of like, hey, you know, what are we really expecting here? But this game against Xavier Worthy puts that on a poster and puts that poster all over campus that what we thought we were getting might not actually be the product that we are. Okay, So, Baylor preview. All right, this is a uh, interesting one. They've rebranded this matchup because, you know, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving, so there's now is a power vacuum for premier conference game of the year. There's a lot of opportunities here. Colorado joined the conference next year. That's going to be a big game, I think, for a lot of different teams. The blue bonnet battle is what we're calling it between Baylor and TCU. Now, I don't hate it. I don't hate that at all. The blue bonnet battle, the question then becomes, will both these teams be good enough that we care? Like The iron skillet against SMU, we cared every single time that these two teams played. The Red River rivalry does not matter if Oklahoma and Texas are both bottom feeders in the conference. People are going to care. People are going to keep their eyes tuned for that. Kansas, Kansas State. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Right? Bedlam. People care. kind of doesn't matter if Oklahoma's good or Oklahoma State is good. It does not matter. People are going to be tuning in for that. Ironically enough, the last decade, last two decades, Oklahoma's been really damn good. So, of course, people are going to care in that rivalry game. So, The Blue Bonnet battle, it's a far cry. These two teams are far cry away from what they were battling for in 2014, which was a potential playoff berth. Baylor's season has taken an incredibly hard left turn from day number one. Their loss to Texas State in week one, where they just looked like they were not ready for it. The loss to K-State this past weekend, which was a 59-25 beatdown that was not indicative of how close it was. K-State was all over them from the jump. This was not – it's funny when you look at a game where you almost give up 60 points and the guy on the radio says, yeah, actually, <laughs> it wasn't that close. It wasn't that close. Kansas State was all over Baylor like white on rice. It was insane how one-sided this game was, especially when you consider the expectations for Baylor before the season, which leads us to this. Dave Aranda is a billion percent coaching first job this weekend. There is not a doubt in my mind that if Baylor 
loses against TCU this weekend. In fact, I would say this. I think the certificate of dismissal might already be signed uh, because he has had one of the worst coaching years in – it's weird to say this because Baylor has had so many bad coaching years, like, but – he is by far having one of the worst coaching seasons in Baylor football history. They've got three wins. Two of them are conference wins. Two of them are against teams that are new to the conference, UCF and Cincinnati, which you know, I like the additions of UCF and Cincinnati. I thought they'd be more competitive in year number one. They have not been. Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati really hurt them a lot more than I think a lot of people thought uh, before the season. You, you imagine – that a product like Cincinnati that has had a relatively proud tradition of winning, all things can being equal, they are not a bad program. They've won big games. They've won conference games. They played a playoff a couple years ago. You would imagine that that program would be able to then move to a conference like the Big 12 and be competitive. Not the case. So Dave Aranda is a 1,000% coaching for his job this weekend. Baylor's offense, one of the worst in the country, the worst in uh, the Big 12, in my opinion, because they're the second fewest points per game in the conference, only ahead of BYU. Again, a newcomer. I don't really count them this year, especially. And they have the worst defense. They'll have the most points and the second most rushing yards. Their numbers are skewed on the passing yards to say, like, oh, well, they're an okay pass, pass defensive team. No. Every team is up on them by four touchdowns, so they're running the ball to run clock. Baylor is a bad football team. Two weeks ago, I said if Texas or if a TCU can win against Texas, then that Baylor game is going to be a cakewalk and they'll be bowl eligible. But here we are, a three-point loss to Texas, which is again why we we don't love doing those game recaps to start the podcast because there's so many different game recaps. And, and but I, I want to take the lessons we learned from the previous week and bring them into this week. Savian Williams is wide receiver number one. Should have been wide receiver number one a week ago, maybe a month ago. Should have been wide receiver number one. He is now wide receiver number one. Imani Bailey is one of the better running backs in the conference. He has been able to play every game, which is not, you can't say the same thing about Taj Brooks. You can't say the same thing about uh, Jonathan Brooks now that he has uh, been listed with a torn ACL. So his season, I think, essentially over for. Um, for Texas. So he is remarkably healthy. He continues to flirt with 100 yards per game. He is a very valuable weapon for this TCU offense. Them not using him properly, <laughs> the TCU teams consistently being behind and having to throw the ball, what, 36 times? Hoover's thrown the ball, I think, like 50 times in a couple games, 40 times in a couple games. 36 pass attempts feels like kind of sophomore-ish, if you ask me, because of how bad this team's offense has been and how much they've had to throw the ball in the previous couple weeks. So I'll take it. You know, This is a team that you would hope would have learned these lessons earlier in the season, but I digress. Frogs open up as a 14-point favorite at home. That's a lot of points even against a bad Baylor team, should TCU cover? Yes. Will TCU cover? Wouldn't shock me if they did. We'll put it that way because of just how roller coastery this ride has been. 
It is nice, though, to play a team like Baylor to end the season because in on paper, your hope is is that you beat the breaks off of this, uh, this Bears team and move on to play your final game against Oklahoma potentially ever, depending on how bowl games and everything else shakes out or non-conference schedules. But this could be the last time that TCU plays Baylor or plays um, Oklahoma for a long, long time. You almost beat Texas. Oklahoma beat Texas. I get it. It's a rivalry game. It's a shootout. But they've since lost to Kansas and since lost to Oklahoma State. They're beatable. Which leads us to this next point. This is what we call a segue. Big, bold letters on my rundown sheet. Will TCU miss a bowl game? There's only been two teams in the past couple seasons, past 23 years, who have played in a bowl game, played a national championship, and then missed a bowl game the previous year. It was LSU in 2020, and it was in Texas in 2010. That is saying a lot. That is saying a lot. Uh, you look at Sonny Dykes and what he's done this season, last season, coaching staff-wise, everything else, talent-wise, everything else. Mac Brown and Coach O are two coaches who were fired or, quote, dismissed very soon after missing that bowl game. Now, Mac Brown had four years. He's getting up there in age. But Texas never got back to that 10-win season mark that he had essentially built his program into. Coach O won a national championship at LSU, and then within a year, they let him go for various other reasons. Like It wasn't just performance on the field. It wasn't just recruiting. It was a lot of other things. Brian Kelly winning the job. There was a lot that went into that. Uh, I don't think Sonny Dykes gets fired. I don't think that TCU moves off of Sonny Dykes. I think that this is a guy who they are going to want to keep in building for a while. When you consider how long Gary Patterson was at TCU, He's not going anywhere anytime soon. This AD likes stability. The fan base likes stability. Sonny Dykes will be here. I cannot say the same thing about Joe Gillespie and Kendall Browse. I cannot say the same thing about the DC and the OC. Those two are going to be playing for their jobs here pretty soon. Now, you could totally spin it if you're one of those guys. You could totally spin this. You beat Baylor. You beat Oklahoma. You go to a bowl game. You play in the Alamo Bowl. You're playing, you know, the Beefo Brady Bowl or whatever. And you win that bowl game, and you're a seven-win team. After playing a national championship last year, you say, hey, we regressed a little bit. Talent got hurt. Morris got hurt. Defense lost a bunch of pieces. We lost, like I think, what, 10 players to the NFL or professional football? That happens. Teams take a step back. As a, Either of those guys, Bryles or Gillespie, you can totally spin it that way. From a fan base point of view, I will say this. This season, unacceptable. <laughs> I think a lot of fans are in agreement with me. I talk to different fan bases across the country for my job. I'll say 90% are just wanting to be competitive week in and week out. I would say 5% are really just laser focused on national championship. You talk about the Alabama, the Clemson, the Michigan, the Ohio State fan bases. Like those fan bases linked to the national championship, and then five bases don't they don't really care. They just want to see their teams play on uh, on Saturdays. TCU fans are in the ninety percent. They just want to be competitive. This season was not competitive in a lot of different ways. Defense gave up a lot of plays. Offense looked stagnant at times. That is not acceptable. That has to be addressed. If both of these coaches come back next season, I'm not calling for jobs here, but both those teams, both those coaches come back. Next season for this team, 
and we see a repeat of the same problem, I will put my head through a wall. I swear to God, I'll put my head through a wall. I will be driven to insanity if we see the same results next year as we saw this year. Uh, TCU men's basketball, shifting gears. They look great. Uh, came out strong against Southern, a 108-75 win last week, and then Thursday to beat Omaha, 82-60. to Granted, they're not playing uh, a murderer's row here. Jacoby Coles had a career-high 21 points in 21 minutes against Omaha on Thursday night. The six-game homestand continues this week as they go against UTRGV Tuesday and then Mississippi Valley State on Friday. Like I said, not necessarily Murder's Row, but you're getting tuned up for December. I like the way that uh, they've kind of built this uh, schedule out here for TC basketball, that you have these kind of tune-up games. December 2nd, they go to Georgetown, road game in D.C. Georgetown, it's not your dad's Georgetown. It's not your grandfather's Georgetown. Georgetown has been a middling program. Let's be honest, middling program these last couple years. But still, a solid test, I think, on the road for a TCU team that has a high expectations, at least on this podcast. The Hypnotoad podcast thinks that this team should be competing for a Big 12 championship should be competing for a top four seed in the Big 12 tournament, should potentially be competing for a solid NCAA tournament bid. That is where the expectations are for this men's basketball team. I get it. They lost some pieces. We'll talk about them as the season continues here, but I like what I've seen so far through the first uh, two games. And then women's basketball, they're back. 3-0 to start the season. Uh, they routed the Rice Owls on Sunday, 67-42, to behind a double-double from Madison Connor and Sidora Prince. Prince got a lot of the love. She had 18 points and 14 rebounds. Connor had 19 points and 11 rebounds. TCU led by as many as 28 points in the victory that propelled the program to its first 3-0 start in four seasons. The Jamie Dixon effect already in play. TCU held Rice winners of 23 games last season to 25% from the floor and only two made threes. This team learns its identity. They are a big team. They're a team that wants to bang down low, and they want to play tight defense. I love it. Old-school basketball. Texas is clearly the number one team right now in the conference. That game, we circled on the calendars. That will be the game that I'm super excited for. They are also not necessarily playing a murderer's row of teams. Uh, the women play at Tuesday against Encarta Word at home, and then they host Army in the Maggie Dixon Classic. So, again, not exactly murderer's row from these teams. But you got to get the job done. You only can play the team that you're in fr- that's in front of you. I like it. Uh, so to wrap things up, Blue Bonnet Classic, or Blue Bonnet Battle this weekend, the alliteration against Baylor. Blue Bonnet Battle against Baylor Bears. It's a mouthful. That game happens this weekend. Uh, I like TCU's chances. 14-point favorites at home. Before you go on the road to be a road dog against Oklahoma, we'll see. I This team needs to win out if they want to go to a bowl game. They have the capability of winning out. They have the talent to win out. Do they have the mental fortitude and coaching to win out? We will see. That's going to do it for the Hypnotoad Podcast. Weekly podcast talking about TCU athletics. want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get it. And we will, of course, continue to uh, put these out for you because we love to do it. Next week, we'll be talking about a win against Baylor. We'll see you then.